And we have an opportunity for you to open the big book and study John. Yes, we do. We want to know you more, and we are here to help. I'm Bruce McGregor, along with Sharon Doran, Teaching Director of the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. And uh, she'll motivate and challenge you to immerse yourself in God's Word and apply His message to your everyday life. Yes, she will. She's been doing that here since uh, October last year, every other Thursday. And... Always a treat to have you with us, Sharon. Welcome. Thanks, Bruce. Hey, we're having uh, visitors night tonight at Seeking Truth, and we are not uh, serving any food, but if you're hungry for God's Word, please come and join us at 730 at Creighton Prep, uh, lower level, Hyder Center entrance, and we would just love to have you check it out and see what it's like. No strings attached. Uh, Come and join us tonight at 730 if you're curious. All right. That's at uh, Creighton Prep, so uh, we encourage you to do that. And uh, for those of you who are regular listeners, especially on Thursday, Sharon has been running through the Gospel of John. More like walking really slowly, verse by verse. We're on chapter 3. Well, we should devour Scripture slowly. Yeah, there's a lot in there. Ruminate, chew. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah. Well, Bruce, let's start off here with uh, John chapter 3. Can you uh, read verse 3, 5, and 6 for us? I would be delighted to. Jesus replied, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. Ah, Jesus is talking here to Nicodemus, this wise, wise Pharisee, teacher of the law, great rabbi who knows everything about, about Torah and Jewish laws, uh, but he's not understanding what Jesus has for him here. And really, Jesus is introducing the sacrament of baptism, and it's the first sacrament we'll see in John's gospel. John is so theological and very sacramental. So Jesus is talking to Nicodemus about being born again, being born into God's family, being born anathen in the Greek, born from above. And and uh, we understand now that means being freed from original sin, freed from this life of the flesh, uh, to free to live a life in the Spirit, filled with His grace and, and power and gifts of the Holy Spirit. But it's going to take a while to figure this theology out. Um, so after, you know, we just see how God gradually reveals His truths to us. After His death and resurrection, um, when the Holy Spirit gets unleashed on the world, boy, that, that will aid our understanding mm-hmm. but uh, and bring things uh, into much clearer focus. But that's going to take time. We just kind of see a little example of that on the road to Emmaus. Here they are walking with the risen Christ, a couple disciples that knew him, and they don't recognize him at all. He's in this glorified body. And Jesus says to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer all these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in the scriptures concerning himself. And so they're not even recognizing him, and, and they, but yet something he's saying is drawing them in, and they want him to stay. They say, stay with us, stay with us. They want to abide with him. And so uh, they're sharing a meal, and he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. 
And then their eyes are opened and they recognize him. And, and so, uh, and they say, we're not our hearts burning within us while he talked to us on the road and opened the scriptures to us. So this, graf- this gradual uh, revelation to us by the power of the Holy Spirit and the risen Christ. And sometimes it's like that in our lives too. We see that with Nicodemus in chapter three. He had a lot of questions and Jesus just keeps putting the truth out in front of him because there's nothing else Jesus can tell him. Jesus is truth itself. So God reveals himself time and time and time and time again to us, whether it's an instant recognition of him or gradual, we we finally start submitting to him and begin to understand things of above, things of anathen. Uh, but our human hearts can be so resistant at times. We just fight it. I don't know why. Why do we fight him at times? But we're full of pride and, and we think we got it all under control and he wants best for us and we settle for, eh, eh that's good enough. <laughs> he wants an abundant life for us and we settle for, eh, so-so. But uh, that's why he founded a church on earth to help us, one holy Catholic apostolic church that will lead us and guide us into all truth. And that truth is Jesus Christ himself leading us into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what the church, his bride, does. The bride helps us to meet to meet his bridegroom, her bridegroom. Mm-hmm. And uh, they have that one flesh union. So if you know one, you should know the other. It's just this complete uh, one flesh couple, really, that, that Paul so beautifully beautifully explains in Ephesians 5 when he's talking about Jesus and his bride, the church, that it's such a profound mystery. And uh, John Paul II bases his theology of the body so much on that profound mystery of this body of Christ and our bodies and, and the church being the bride of Christ. And she underst- uh, I just love how the church guides us into all truth. Can you read, Bruce, that uh, catechism quote? It's number 1117, okay. what the church does. Peel into the big green book yeah. here. Everyone should have that too, along with mm-hmm. your Bible, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, as she has done for the canon of sacred, sacred scripture and for the doctrine of the faith, the church, by the power of the Spirit who guides her into all truth, has gradually recognized this treasure received from Christ and, as the faithful steward of God's mysteries, has determined its dispensation. Mm. Thus, the church has discerned over the centuries that among liturgical celebrations, there are seven that are, in the strict sense of the term, sacraments instituted by the Lord. We didn't just make these up. They're they're instituted by Jesus himself. There are seven sacraments, and this first one, John 3, is baptism, being born of water and the Spirit. John's big on seven. There are seven Mm -hmm. sacraments. There are seven I am statements. There are seven signs of glory in his gospel. And so, uh, really, that number seven means covenant completion or perfection, and the sacraments, uh, the catechism also tells us that they are powers that come forth from the body of Christ, which is ever living and ever giving. I love how Christ is ever giving. He didn't go away. He didn't leave us orphans. He sent the Holy Spirit. And they are actions of the Holy Spirit at work in his body, the church, masterworks of God in the new and everlasting covenant. So he's he's revealing baptism here to Nicodemus, and Nicodemus just does not get it. He doesn't get it. He's born in the flesh. He's not been born of above yet. He doesn't understand that. That. And uh, even John, John uh, came before Christ. He paves the way, but he's baptizing with water, but not the Holy Spirit. His, his baptism is a baptism of repentance. The hearts are getting ready. They're humbling themselves and coming for baptism, repenting of their sins. But John doesn't have the power to forgive sin. Only Jesus Christ, only God can take away sin. And and uh, John knows that when he says, look, the Lamb of God, the one who takes away the sin of the world. And so he's baptizing with water, but he says this one coming next, he's going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. And so uh, Jesus, this Lamb of God, 
will take away sin, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit, and uh, he will teach them and command them to do the same thing in Matthew 28 when he gives that great commission, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and that's exactly what they'll do. And uh, we'll see that um, in Acts 2 at, at Pentecost when 120 of them are hovered together in the upper room at Pentecost, and Peter comes out and gives that extremely powerful, beautiful, anointed sermon full of the Holy Spirit. And he tells them to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And this promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, for all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. And so those who accepted uh, the message that day and were baptized were 3,000 were added to their number that day. And I want you to remember that number, 3,000. It's the only time it's used in the New Testament, and, and we'll get into that a little more after our break. Uh, but remember, 3,000 were saved that day. That's the day the church was born, and that first sacrament, the, the initiation of baptism administered by these first priests of the church, and Jesus himself giving them the authority and the power in his name to do just that, baptize. Uh, so uh, the Holy Spirit is kind of telling us to take a little uh, sidecar trip here because uh, we had a reading from Hebrews today and the scriptures that caught your attention. Yeah, well, all week, you know, in the in the readings at Mass, we've been looking at Hebrews, and Hebrews is is uh, an interesting book, and I love Hebrews, but uh, I, I, it talks about Jesus being this new covenant and this new high priest, and uh, so let's talk about that a little bit, because Jesus is the one who institutes all these sacraments. Jesus, and, and our catechism tells us that, that Jesus Christ institutes the sacraments of the church. He's doing something new. He's, he's taking this old covenant, he's a new covenant, and uh, he's going to be a new high priest. And Nicodemus understands the priesthood. Certainly, he's a learned rabbi, but he understands the Levitical priesthood. And the Levitical priesthood is soon passing away. And uh, we know that temple's going to be destroyed in 70 years after, after you know, and, and in 70 AD. Mm-hmm. And uh, Jesus is going to be a new high priest, but not of Aaron's line, but of the line of Melchizedek. And what's interesting is that in Scripture, Scripture's unitive. And so, uh, we see Christ really all throughout, uh, but Melchizedek is a very mysterious Bible character to me, and he's mentioned 11 times in the entire Bible, and nine of the 11 times is in the book of Hebrews. Once he's mentioned in Genesis 14, once he's mentioned in Psalm 110. But Jesus is telling Nicodemus, this learned Pharisee about the sacrament of baptism, being born up from above, being born of water and the Spirit, and this greatest teacher of Torah doesn't understand Jesus 101. Nicodemus says, how can this be? And Jesus says, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and testify of what what we have seen, and you do not accept our testimony. If I told you earthly things and you don't believe me, how are you going to believe when I tell you these heavenly things? So Jesus has come to make all things new, and he's going to be a new covenant. He's fulfilling everything. We talked about Mary being the Ark of the Covenant. She housed and carried Jesus in her body for nine months. But let's let's take a look at what was in that Ark. What was contained in that Ark that was placed in the Holy of Holies in the temple, in the presence of God, the Shekinah glory where it resided, inside the Ark. And again, it's Hebrews that tells us what was in there. Hebrews 9, there was a golden jar holding the manna and Aaron's rod, which had budded in the tablets of the covenant. Okay, and so let's look at those things. The jar of manna in the old covenant, what's that going to be in the new covenant? 
bread of life. Yeah, yeah, Jesus Christ himself, the bread of life. The bread that Moses provided was manna, but Jesus, his own flesh is going to feed the world eternally, and those who eat his flesh will never die. How about the law? We know that the tablets of the law, the Ten Commandments given to Moses, were in the, co- the Ark of the Covenant. What's, does, what's Jesus do with the law? He, he totally, totally fulfills the law. Mm-hmm. He says in Matthew 5, I didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. So Christ fulfills the law. We, we know we need to leave a, live a moral life in God's strength and grace, and, and uh, he'll give us what we need to do that, and we can be truly free. So he doesn't abanish, uh, abolish the manna. That becomes a Eucharist. He doesn't abolish the law. We're to live the moral law. Now, no one talks about that third thing in the box. That's right, Aaron's rod. Aaron's rod. Yeah. Why, where'd that go? Did that disappear? Why don't we talk about that anymore? The the Protestant scholars don't seem to address Aaron's rod very much. Why? Did it disappear? What's its significance? What's it mean? Aaron's rod is the old priesthood. Aaron was the original high priest. And something else, if you look at number 17, uh, the budding of Aaron's staff, Moses, they're all grumbling. The Israelites are grumbling. And Moses tells them to come to him, and he wants a representative from each ancestral tribe, one of each of the 12 tribes of Israel, to come forward and write your name on a staff. And so for Levi, Levi's line, Aaron places his name on the staff, and they're to come, place them in the tent of the meeting and front of the Ark of the Covenant of the Law, and Moses will meet them there with God. And the next day, Moses enters the tent and saw Aaron's staff, which represented the tribe of Levi. It had not only sprouted, but had budded blossoms and produced almonds. Then Moses took out the staffs in front of the Lord's presence and all the Israelites. They looked at them, and each of the leaders took his own staff. And the Lord said to Moses, put back Aaron's staff in front of the Ark of the Covenant law to be kept as a sign to the rebellious. This will put an end to their grumbling against me so that they will not die. And Moses did just as the Lord commanded him. So what does Aaron's rod symbolize? Authority. Yeah. Yeah. God assigns authority to Aaron as the first high priest. And before that, uh, priesthood, the male of each household was to be the priest of his family, to offer sacrifice, to pray to the Lord, and to teach his family, passing that on to the firstborn son. But after the apostasy of the golden calf in Exodus 32, God had had it with the people. He was ready to destroy the people and go on and start a new life with Moses. But what's Moses say? Self-giving Moses intercedes to God on behalf of the people. He comes down off Mount Sinai, he sees the revelry, he sees the golden calf they're worshiping, he's furious, but but uh, Moses saw, it says in Exodus 32, verse 25, Moses saw that people were running wild, and Aaron had let them get out of control, and they'd become a laughingstock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. And then he said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, each man strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded. And that day, about 3,000 people died. There it is. And Moses said, you have been set apart to the Lord today, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. So this is the institution of the Levitical priesthood, those who stood for the Lord, those who defended the covenant that the Lord had given on Sinai. And that becomes the priesthood. And Moses is going to intercede for them. You have committed a great sin, he says, but now I will go to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. This is the the birth of the Levitical priesthood. And what I find interesting, they slaughtered three 
80,000 of their own people that day. Mm-hmm. This is an enemy tribe. They are slaughtering fellow Israelites who are against the Lord and his covenant. So now in Acts 2, when the church is born and the priesthood of Jesus Christ is established in the line of Melchizedek, and how many does Peter baptize that day? 3,000. 3,000. Do you think that's a coincidence? Not at all. That in the Levitical priesthood, 3,000 died, and in the priesthood of Jesus Christ, 3,000 are born again into new life in the Spirit, with water in the Spirit. I think that's amazing. It's the only time 3,000 is listed in the New Testament. Mm -hmm. And I I just find that a fascinating connection, and I I haven't, I don't know, I just, oh, I just, mm. So the apostles are given this direct authority from Jesus Christ to go and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And the Levitical priesthood is going to be dying out, and the priesthood of our Lord Jesus Christ in the line of Melchizedek is going to be taking over. And when a Catholic priest is ordained, when he receives holy orders, we hear, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. And in Psalm 110, it says, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Now, Moses was a Levite. His brother Aaron is the high priest. And Moses said that he would try to make atonement for the people's sin. But Jesus Christ is going to be the new Moses. Moses can't do it. He can't make the perfect atonement for the people's sin. Aaron, the high priest, was not obedient. He helps them craft the golden calf in his brother's absence. So we know that first high priest certainly wasn't perfectly obedient. But Jesus Christ will be perfectly obedient. Philippians 2, he will be obedient to the Father's will in all things. So Aaron... Aaron, uh, God prescribes a formula where they can burn offerings and burn offering after offering after offering, burning bulls and calves and sheep and oxen. And all, but these burnt offerings aren't going to be enough. Jesus wants their hearts. He says to obey is better than sacrifice. First Samuel 15 says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as in obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice and to heed is better than the fat of rams. So only Jesus Christ is that perfect sacrifice that can save us. And it tells us that today in that reading we just heard in Hebrews 7. Christ is the perfect high priest. He has perfect obedience to the Father. He's a perfect atonement. His very own lifeblood is poured out for us in a once and for all sacrifice. But he's ever giving, ever loving, ever a perpetual sacrifice. And we see that at Mass. And the priest acting in the order of Melchizedek in persona Christi, in the place of Christ on earth. Because he knows how soon we forget, Bruce. I mean, they... Moses has gone 40 days and they forget and craft a golden calf. We need a church. We need a priesthood. We forget. We forget. And so the the church is going to lead us into all truth. And the, the priest will act in person of Christ, in persona Christi, to, to uh, administer these sacraments to us. He has the authority to transubstantiate this new manna, this new bread of life. He has authority to forgive sins, something that the Jews knew that only, only God could do. Right. When the Pharisees, time and time and time again in the New Testament, we see the Pharisees are furious because Jesus would say, your sins are forgiven. And they think, only God can forgive sins. Only God, what is he saying? He's this is blasphemy. Well, no, because he was God. But but only God can forgive sins. And so here's in second, a second sacrament we see in John in, in chapter 19. Jesus, after his resurrection, he's going to walk right through locked doors, and he's going to come into this room of the apostles, and he says, peace be with you. And he shows them his hands and his side. And the disciples are overjoyed when they see the Lord. And Jesus says to them, and this is, I quote, starting at verse 21, mm-hmm. peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And you, and with that, he breathed on them. 
And he said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That is what Jesus Christ himself said. If you, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they're not forgiven. That's pretty clear, Bruce. Yeah, right there. That's a pretty good scripture for evidence that we need the sacrament of reconciliation and confession through the power and authority given to the Catholic priest that has been handed on a direct succession through the line of Peter, that Jesus Christ in John 19, verse 23 says, if you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. That's authority. That's that rod of Aaron being passed on. That's that shepherd's rod. That shepherd's rod, uh, the power and authority to forgive sins. That's something God alone can do. But these men are acting in person of Christ. And so they have the power to absolve sin. When they hear a confession that is pure from the heart, we can know when they absolve us that our sins are forgiven. They have the power and authority from Jesus Christ himself to do that. Why don't we use that sacrament, Bruce? I don't know. Why don't we humble ourselves and go to confession? Our hearts are so resistant. It's pride. It's pride that keeps us away. And I, I uh, you know, why are we scared? Why why do we do that? Jesus has given them authority. And there's no sin a priest has not heard. Mm-hmm. And there's nothing that you have done. Anyone out there, there's nothing that you have done that Christ cannot forgive if you are truly repentant and make an honest heartfelt, contrite confession. And there's so much grace in that sacrament of your baptism and so much grace in that sacrament of reconciliation that Christ stirs up inside us time and time and time again in our lives. It's the Holy Spirit that nudges us to get to confession. Are we obedient? The priest is 100% confidential. He will not tell anyone what you've said. He has vowed that to keep your confession private. Why don't we use that beautiful sacrament more? I, I know that... Uh, there's been times in my life when I needed the grace of every sacrament I could possibly get. I've I've had cancer twice and I've had nine surgeries and on that last second uh, that last surgery uh, I rounded up the whole neighborhood. Every seatbelt was full in, in my big SUV. I got seven seatbelts. They were all full. We headed to confession. I said, Mrs. Doran needs every grace available. Will you kids go to confession with me? Oh, yes, they would. And and it, we went to a priest to hear our confession. Then we went to Mass, where the priest changed the host into Jesus Christ himself. And then, and then I had the anointing of the sick from a priest. Three sacraments in two days. I mean, I had all the grace I needed to just put my life in his hands, to completely surrender to his will. Just, I just want to encourage everyone out there to avail yourself to the sacraments of the church. Pray for our priests. We need them to administer these sacraments that the Lord Jesus Christ has established. We need this bride of Christ, the church. We need her to guide us into all truth, into Jesus Christ himself, who's the way, the truth, and the life. And then we'll know the truth, and the truth will set us free, and the truth is Jesus Christ. And he wants to free us from any bondage of sin in our life, anything that holds us bound. We were studying last this week, and, and he's bound in these cloths. And it's just like before we go to confession, we're all bound up, we're wrapped up in, in our sin. And when we come out, when we're, it's like new life. We're, we're risen, we're risen again, and we're, we, we have a clean slate again. And so uh, I just want to encourage people use that sacrament, avail yourself to that sacrament. Mm-hmm. 
So, so anyway, wow. this is a new priesthood, you know? Yes. It's one of Jesus Christ, and it's in the order of Melchizedek. Why Melchizedek? I'll just tell you real briefly, uh, where we first hear about him is in Genesis 14. And it's really interesting. There's this war of kings going on. I won't get into that. But Abram, Abram comes to Melchizedek. He's the king of Salem who brought out bread and wine, and he's a priest of God Most High. Mm. And Melchizedek blesses Abram, and he, he blessed him, and he said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of earth and heaven, and blessed be God Most High, who has delivered you from your enemies. And Abram recognizes his authority because he gives him a tenth of all he has. He tithes to this priest, Melchizedek. Now, who's this Melchizedek? The king of Salem. Salem will later become Jerusalem. Oh. And who is this priest of God Most High, king of peace. Abram ties to him. Well, he's a priest with authority, certainly. And Hebrews 7 tells us that he, Melchizedek, is without father, without mother, without genealogy. Huh? Wow. Who, who does not have genealogy? Yeah, that means he doesn't have origins. And he has neither beginning of days nor end of life. Huh? It sounds kind of like he's the Alpha and Omega, that he has no beginning or no end. And he's made like a son of God, and he remains a priest perpetually. Hmm. Mm. Who is this perpetual priest? One without beginning of days or end of life. One that's made like a son of God and a perpetual priest. This is Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is in the line of Melchizedek. Jesus Christ is the new high priest, not of a Levitical priest, but in the order of Melchizedek. Hmm. Wow. Kind of interesting. Very, very interesting. <laughs> okay, I know we're running out of time, but do I have a couple minutes to get yes. into this snake on the pole? Yes, it's let's John. Do that. It's John 3, and it's just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. Why is he talking about this snake that Moses lifted up? Okay, we do, we're just in number 17 for Aaron. We're going a couple chapters up in Numbers 21, and those Israelites are grumbling again and rebelling against Moses in the desert wanderings. And the people have spoken spoken against God and Moses. Why have you brought us out here to die? What they're really doing is calling God a liar. Mm -hmm. They're calling God a liar. And the snake in the garden accuses God of lying. And now the Israelites are calling God a liar. And their punishment will be fitting because God's going to send serpents, snakes, to bite the people and make them die. So they make God out to be like Satan. So God's punishment is going to fit the crime. The people then repent. We have sinned. We have sinned. We have spoken against God and you. So Moses makes a bronze serpent and sets it on a cross. Now the people who just call God a liar have to look up to the serpent for their healing. Israel must look upon a serpent for healing. And Yahweh is going to take on their accusation, take on their own sin image to heal them. Wow. Now, Jesus Christ will also be lifted up on a cross. And the people will look up to him for their healing, to save them. He will be the Savior of the world, although they don't get it yet. But 2 Corinthians 5, Paul tells us, God made him, Jesus Christ, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, so it's that same concept. Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ will be lifted up, and his hour of glory, his death on the cross, is going to be what saves us, what saves us from our own sin. So that's that's an, uh, a wonderful, wonderful uh, analogy there. And then the favorite verse, and you see it at football games, it's held up behind uh, the goalpost, John right. 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and all 
only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So, so Jesus comes only to save, to seek and save the lost. God doesn't condemn us. He gives us everything we could possibly need. He's not the enemy. He's the Savior. He comes to save, not to condemn us. But Bruce, we condemn ourselves by not believing in God, by making God out to be a liar. He's come only to save us. He just asks that we be baptized in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and that we believe. And he doesn't keep anything from us. He tells us everything. He tells us the whole story. John 15, 15 says, I no longer call you servants. A servant does not know what his master's business. Instead, I call you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. He doesn't keep anything back from us. He tells no after. He is truth itself. He tells us the full truth, nothing but the truth. And we just have to believe and surrender. Amen. Amen. Go to confession. I want to go to confession right now. Is there a priest that will hear my confession? Use the sacraments. They're full of grace. They're full of grace. And believe. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. All right. Sharon, wow. I'm just uh, breathless on that. Wow. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. God bless you for uh, all the time and effort that uh, Mm -hmm. you've put into being able to break this open for us. This is just, this is great. (laughs) God's word is such an honor to, to, to break it open with you because it's just, ah, it's life itself. It's truth. Amen. Amen. All right. Sharon Doran with us from the Seeking Truth Catholic Bible Study. And again, uh, if you want an opportunity to hear Sharon's presentation on the Gospel of John, you can do so tonight. Uh, Just come to uh, Creighton Prep at 730 promptly and uh, get a taste of uh, more uh, great scripture from Sharon Doran. God bless you, Sharon. We appreciate it. Thanks, Bruce. Have a great day. All right. You too.